How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Listen and grow as Dell questions the status quo, encourages you to think differently, and empowers you to make a better life. Get ready as Dell challenges core beliefs, seeks the truth, and reveals the roadmap to the lifestyle you really want. And now your host, multi-millionaire, national award-winning investor, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Today, my friends, uh, we're going back to the mailbag, and uh, the first one I have here was sent to me by an interested individual. He said he wanted me to take a look at this article by Money Scoop. And basically what the article is about is that a lot of people think that if you go back to school and get an MBA, that you can make more money and actually elevate the quality of your lifestyle. This article is written by someone who's making the point that, yeah, but what does that cost you? And is it worth it? There's a payback. Hopefully there's a payback to this uh, investment of going and becoming and getting an MBA, right? So let's talk about school in general. I'm noticing a lot lately that people are losing their belief in college. Why? Well, used to be, let's go back 100 years ago, people would go to college because you would get the level of understanding that would allow you to be an aristocrat. If you wanted to be a doctor, an attorney, or you wanted to be a president of the United States or a president of another country, you needed to have a level of understanding of the world and a level of sophistication that would allow you to live amongst those higher up, intellectually um, educated people. School was not for trade. Now, let's come along here to the 50s. And when I was growing up in my era, school had been, college had been hijacked by giant corporations that needed intelligent workers. And so what they were telling people is, is that if you don't have at least a basic associate's degree, a two-year degree, we're going to take somebody over you. And we're going to take somebody over you as far as a job goes because you've proven that, number one, you have higher education to some level, and number two, you stuck it out and got a degree, which means that you've got a little more staying power than the, the guy who didn't get one. And if you had a full degree, a four-year degree, then we would take precedent for that person over the associate degree. Some places got to the point where they wouldn't even take anybody but that had at least a full four-year degree. 
Then some companies started getting greedy, started saying you had to have your MBA. We only hire MBAs at this company, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so it became both a status symbol and a perceived rate of return into the future estimate based on the fact that if you go through and put in this investment of time and money, that you can make more money in the future because of this. That's where it had got to. But then what happened was is that it became a place to put kids, the kids that weren't grown up enough at the end of high school to go out into the real world and do something. And these kids just haven't grown up. And you know they hadn't grown up. You knew they didn't have the ability to go out and, and get into industry and do anything. So you sent them to college. You were hoping that the next four years of you spending your money on college would eventually pay off for you and slash through them. They would pay, it would pay off for them that they would one grow up over those next four years, which they hadn't during the last four years of high school. And number two, that they would learn stuff that would make them a more viable employee out there in the world. That was the concept until college started changing to where college is now a situation where people go there to party, to do sports, to hang out, and worst of all now, to become politically mesmerized into a socialist economy, a socialist political solution, and to become almost anywhere from a socialist to a communist. And that's what they're being educated. So now people are thinking, wow, do I really want to spend this $200,000 investment to get a kid that comes out lazier than he did when he went in? Why? Because if you're a socialist, communist, you believe the world should give you something. And the stuff that they're studying is useless information. It's no longer you studying math and science and becoming doctors and lawyers and CPAs. They're coming out as political scientists. They're coming out as grade school teachers, which make like thirty, forty thousand dollars a year, maybe at the most fifty. They're coming out with degrees that do not earn them or return them the investment they made in the first place for the reason and or the reason why they went to school. And so people are starting to rethink the college situation. Now, let's acerbate that problem. Let's make it worse. College used to cost about $5,000 a year, all told, book or, you know, tuition, books, and on campus housing. So at the end of four years, you invested about $20,000. That number's up to about $200,000. Why did that happen? Well, because they started doing something called student loans, where you could borrow the money to go to college. As soon as the college saw that you could borrow the money, it was no longer could students afford to go to college anymore. It was how much could they get lent to go to college. And that was a much greater amount of money. And then let's go one step further. The government started funding colleges. And once the government got into it, you know, that's always where things get destroyed. The government destroys everything it touches. You know that. I know that. People won't admit it. But that's the way it works. Why? Because the government is an amalgamation of votes. And the amalgamation of votes say that a person's completely stupid, uneducated, has no common sense at all, has the same vote as a highly educated, intelligent person. And since 51% of the people are below that logical, intellectual level, 51% of the people control what happens in our country. 
And so anything the government touches, it's touched by that lower level of intellect. If you don't believe me, pick out any 10 of your Congress people on the Democratic side and look at them and see if you can understand what they say, see if what they say has any intelligence to it whatsoever. Now, you could probably do that on 10 of the, the, the Republicans, but they just have tend to have a difference in educational background between Republicans and Democrats. And by the way, you remember, I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm just telling you the way it really is. If you look at these people and you understand that the people controlling our fate the government is going to destroy everything you touch. So if the government now controls college, which it does, then it's not something I want any part of. But that doesn't mean you don't because you still believe in it or you still believe in, you know, all of the things that socialism and communism bring to bear. You're you're for that. Everybody should be the same. Not everybody has the same opportunities in life, but everybody should be the same. We all should have equal results not equal opportunities. By the way, that's just the definition of socialism. So as we move on here, we talk about this article. The articles talk about, okay, look, let's say, and here's the parameters the guy's using for um, the example. If, let's say you earn $100,000 a year and you decide, hey, if I go back and get an MBA, I will be eligible for a job promotion that could make me $180,000 a year, an $80,000 a year increase. And so the simple math that this person uses is, okay, if it costs me $200,000 a year to go back to college, you know, if that costs me for the college degree, and it's going to, it's going to pay me $80,000 more after the two years it's going to take to get this thing, after two years of school, then I'm going to be able to make $80,000 a year more. So 80000 into 200000 he's coming up with is about a three, three-and-a-half-year payback. Well, when I come back from the break, I'm going to tell you and discuss with you why that's wrong. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to level up your financial game? Let NerdWallet guide you with smart strategies for lasting success. Get savvy tax planning pointers to maximize your savings, money-saving travel tips for your next family getaway, and investing insights like how a 529 plan can help you send your kids to college. Unlock the key to saving to help you earn more money. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you in 2024. Retiring America, one person at a time. This is the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Now, more unconventional wisdom from your host, Dell Wamsley. 
Welcome back to the Del Wamsley Radio Show. Before we went to break, uh, I was going through an article about how to calculate the payback period on an investment in an MBA. Uh, the real simple numbers this article used was that say you made 100 grand a year. If you took the, if you got an MBA, you believed you could go up to 180 grand a year, which would be an $80,000 a year increase. Uh, the cost they're using here is around $200,000 for the cost of the MBA. And so you've got a payback period of $80,000 a year would take to pay the $200,000 off. If you spent all the money on it, uh, would be something along the lines of three and a half years is the way they're calculating. All right. Now, that's absolutely wrong. I mean, anybody has any common sense about money, about mathematics sees that that's completely wrong. Let's start with the simplest point. What is the value of the two years it took you to get the education? Well, if nothing else, if it took you two years to get the education, right, and then it took you three years to pay it off, that brings that number to five years as the payback period uh, in reality, right? So it's at least five years. But there's a better way to look at it than that, which is going to make this thing look even less appealing. For example, during that two years, if your wages for a year's worth of work was $100,000 a year and you lost two years worth of wages to go back to school to get this thing, that's $200,000 worth of your money you don't have. Now, if you say, well, Dell, I do it at nights and, and part-time and weekends, then talk about the quality and value of your own time. Does your time have any value at all? Well, if you're a peon, if you're a nobody, if you have no value of self-worth or time, if you're a cubicle runner where you get up every day and go run in a cubicle like a trapped rat, uh, yeah, you have no value for your time. You are worthless to society, and your time to get this um, degree has no value. But if you have any common sense at all, you know your time is the only value you have in life. You can have anything you want in life except more time. God will take that away from you. And so your time has value. So what if it took you two years of schooling, full-time schooling to get this, that's $200,000, $100,000 a year worth of your time. If it, you know, if you do that part-time uh, and it still takes that two years to go through, that's still, you know, you're working a, a double job, your regular job, and then the job of going to school, which you could have worked a double job and made the extra $100,000 a year and made $200,000 a year. Hence, the real cost of this college is 400000 to you when you take in the value of two years of your life and working and studying and so forth. The next part of the, of the example that's wrong is they're saying you take $80,000 and pay that towards your $200,000. That is absolutely not true. If you were after the two years to get an increase in pay, and that's if, by the way, probably wouldn't happen. And if you did get it, it wouldn't happen all at once. But let's say you did. That $80,000 would have to be taxed. You would have a 31% income tax and another 7.5% Social Security and Medicare tax. When you take that down, that takes that income down to only $50,000 a year. With $50,000 a year as the payback, and you have a period of uh, that would take you uh, eight years to pay off the $400,000 you have invested in the cost of this schooling. Now you've got an eight-year payback, right? Now you might think even that is worth it if you're young, because how many years are you going to make that $200,000? Well, if it's for the rest of your life and you're young, that might make some sense to you. 
But if you're 50 years of age, it makes no sense at all because by the time you've paid it back, you're ready to retire. Or we'd hope you were. Maybe you weren't. But it doesn't make any sense at all for older people to go back to school. It just doesn't. Uh, It's too long of a payback on this type of thing. Now, let's take it one step further. Because this is where the average person, the unintellectually, overly educated college professor type guy, doesn't see what you're really losing. The most important thing you're losing when you pay $200,000 and $200,000 worth of your time to go to college is that that $400,000 worth of value could be invested in a much better investment than your education. And people are seeing that now. I just came back from Hawaii. Fill the room. People are bringing their kids in now. They're bringing their kids. I've been doing this for 32 years. And for the last four or five years, people have been bringing their kids. We've got kids taking our courses that are retiring in two to five years. So if they're starting at 20, they're retired at 25. I've got kids that are millionaires, literally kids that are millionaires. And when I say kids, I'm talking about kids in their 20s because you really can't start buying real estate in your own name until you're 18 years of age. But I get a lot of parents that are putting together family trusts and letting the kids buy real estate um, in the trust type situation or just the parents sign for it. And then when they become 18, they sign it over to them. Uh, But there is so many people now, they're seeing the value for investing their money as opposed to going to school. So an example, if you look at this, if we were to invest this money wisely in real estate, you're going to have about a 10% cash flow. So that 400000 be worth about $40,000 a year of extra income right away, tax-free. And I say tax-free because it's tax-deferred, and we're going to defer it and defer it and defer it and die. And that's what you do. We defer, 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 die, and then it goes away. And you have to come to a course to figure out how that works and why, but it's totally legal and happens with almost everybody that knows anything about money. If you don't know anything about money and you're not wealthy, then you don't know how it works. You probably think it's scam, but it's not. You probably think it's illegal, but it's not. Every wealthy person, even every rich Democrat out there owns real estate for the very reason I'm talking about, to get out of paying taxes. All right, so now you take a look at the situation. Most of our deals that we're doing are doubling in value in about three years right now. Now, we've had them in the past when they double in a year, two years, three years. Now it's up to about three years. And so if it takes about three years to get to 100% return, we're talking, we're we're calculating about a 30% return in capital gains per year. Now, you can just look at housing. A couple years ago, uh, in 2008, housing was $150,000 median price. It then went up to 200, then it went up to 250, then it went up to 300, went up to 350, went up to 375. Just this week, the median price went up to 400, over $400,000. That's massive, massive capital gains, guys. Massive capital gains. Let me give you an example. Let's say I bought a house in 2008 and I put $10,000 down and bought it for $150,000. That thing's now worth $400,000. So listen. I mean, come on. That's a median price house was 150. That same median price house is now 400,000. So it went up how much, right? $250,000. But wait, I only had $10,000 invested. So that's a 2,500% return. 
don't even begin to think that you could make anywhere near that in anything else but real estate. But in real estate, it was very easy. Many, many people could tell you that they did that. So when we come back, we're going to calculate the actual rate of return for the investment in a college education. Dana Carvey and David Spade here. You might know our podcast, Fly on the Wall. We decided to do a spinoff called Superfly, and it's fun. It's just two of us riffing on current events, pop culture. When I looked up the flight, when that door flew off, these people were dead yeah. silent. Everyone's just quiet. I don't think I could contain it. I think that's free reign to wail on your call button <laughs> in that situation. Bung, 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 bung. Hey, I don't want to be a pest. Was there a door when I got up? <laughs> Listen to and follow Superfly on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You're hearing the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more life-changing knowledge? Access our podcast and listen on demand at lifestylesunlimited.com under the radio tab. Now your host, Dell Wamsley. Welcome back to Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Today we're calculating the payback period and value of the investment in an MBA. And as we went to break, I told you that we'd come back and I would do the correct calculations on this. So here's the way the correct calculations come out. Number one, the cost of the education, which they are targeting at $200,000. Then the loss of wages for the two years you go back to school, that's another $200,000 because they're saying this guy makes a hundred grand a year. So that's a $400,000 investment. Then we're talking about, okay, now we get through that and we start earning $80,000 a year more. What is that 80000 really worth? Well, after you pay 31% income taxes on it, 7% Social Security and Medicare taxes, you're actually paying uh, 40 or no, 38% taxes, which leave, takes that $80,000 down to $50,000 worth of take-home pay a year. So $50,000 uh, a year is what we're actually gaining so if there were no other benefits, it would take us eight years to pay back uh, that $200,000 investment. But that's not really the way you should look at it, because that $400,000 could be doing something, something else completely. And if you invested that $400,000 correctly, you'd be earning about a 10% cash-on-cash return, which is about $40,000 a year. And you would also be earning a 30% capital gains. So it's about 40% a year. And uh, 40% of the two, $400,000 uh, comes out to be um, $160,000 a year worth of income that you're bypassing. So by the fact that you're bypassing $160,000 worth of income and you're only earning $50,000 a year more take-home pay, you're actually losing $110,000 a year. So your investment in college, your two years of your life, your $200,000 with your family's money is actually going to net you compared to what you could do if you join up with me and do the right things. Uh, and forget about joining up with me. If you just do the right things, if you would do the right things, invest correctly with that money, you would find that that amount of investment, that 200000 cash, that 200000 of your time could be invested correctly and wisely, and you would make an additional $160,000 a year instead of eighty. And the eighty is taxable, which takes it down to fifty. whereas the real estate can be tax-deferred, making it one hundred and sixty. So you actually are earning $110,000 a year less than what you could be earning 
if you wouldn't take the time and the money to invest in your MBA. Now, that's pretty sad, uh, but most people don't understand that. And like I said, I just got back from Hawaii. We did a seminar there, and people came out of there. They were so overwhelmed once they finally saw the facts, the numbers, the reality, that people were just, well, quite honestly, they were emotionally taken by it, taken aback by it. And when you figure out when it's finally brought to your attention that you've been told the wrong things to do your entire life, it's sad. I see people 40, 50 years of age, 60 years of age, that are just now waking up to the fact that everything their parents taught them, which were not rich, everything their teachers and professors taught them, which were not rich, everything their bosses taught them, which were maybe rich, uh, everything that they learned about life that they hold so dearly to themselves is actually wrong. That's an emotional problem right there. All right, moving on. The next one is housing. Uh, the next one somebody sent me was this article about housing. It says, early signs of housing price recalibrations as higher interest rates stunt affordability. And what they're talking about is now that they've increased the interest rates uh, the last uh, couple of weeks. They've uh, raised the cost of a mortgage up to 5.8% interest, which was you know quite a bit up from where it was just a few months back. And this is starting to affect the marketplace. Now, you have to think very carefully about this because you can get it wrong as to what it's doing. So I want to take this and apologize. This is not correct radio style, but I'm going to read you this article and I'm going to comment on it because it's very, very, uh, how should I say this? Very complicated is maybe not the right word, but very subtle in what you need to understand what's going on right now. So I'll read this. Owners adopt as affordability collapsed buyer's pool. In other words, the number of buyers out there has gone down. Why? Because the number of people who can afford to buy a home has gone down. Fewer existing homes sold in May than in any month since the second quarter of 2020. This moderation coincided with the six-month high in the number of homes listed. Now let's take that and break that down. It coincided with a six-month high of homes listed. In other words, because people, oh, in addition to people not buying homes, more and more sellers are putting their homes on the market right now. Why? Because they perceive the market's as high as it's going to go. And secondly, they perceive if they're going to want to get out within a year or two, interest rates going up, it may be harder and harder and harder to sell a home. Now, that's a perception not a fact, okay? But I want you to understand it's a perception that's out there. So people are starting to list their homes in a high number compared to what they used to. Okay, it says here, this moderation coincided with a six-month high in number of homes listed, a signal that purchases are now being reduced by the forces other than for sale inventory. So what they're saying is just a month back, the reason you wouldn't have a buyer is because there wasn't enough inventory. Now there's inventory, but there's still no 
there's still less buyers. During much of the past two years, the lack of homes on the market was the predetermined buying constraint, but affordability is beginning to have a heavier influence. Single-family brokers note declines in their tour requests and other engagements in the past week, prompting sellers to be slightly less aggressive with pricing as the market begins to settle. Still, the median price of an existing home rose for the 24th consecutive month to $403,000 in May. Now, think about that. They're saying, look, the prices are starting to settle down. What they meant by that was it was such a seller's market before that sellers were putting the price out there as high as they wanted it, and then people were bidding that price up. That has started to stop, if not stopped completely, and the market is settling back down into more of a normal market where the sellers don't have that kind of power over people anymore. Not all spending is pulling back. U.S. residents are becoming more cost-conscious amid widespread inflation and raising interest rates, as seen in the single-family housing market. Several retail segments parallel to housing posting spending declines in May, including furniture and electronics. With fewer people upsizing and purchasing the first home, demand for these types of goods could remain hindered in the foreseeable future. On the other hand, a contraction in consumption is not all-inclusive. In fact, grocery and dining-related spending reaches record markets, uh, record marks in the month of May. Okay, So people are spending not on housing because housing is becoming too expensive, and so they're not buying new homes, but they still have all this pent-up extra money from the pandemic where they weren't going out and doing anything, and now they just want to get out and spend money and do something, have some fun. Developing trends. Multifamily serves as a relief valve. The relational value of rentals is improving as trends in the single-family housing market play out. In many instances, multifamily complexes are in better locations than homes that align with the budget of the first-time buyer. At the same time, some apartments offer amenities, services, and community-based activities that single-family homes do not. With many consumers tightening their spending amid high inflation, the cost-saving benefits of rentals paired with those attractive lifestyle elements is driving multifamily performance. Preliminary estimates for the second quarter show exceptionally strong rental gains. comfortably exceeding double-digit year-over-year growth nationally, propelled by continuing tight vacancy. So there it is, folks. What's happening? Right? People can't afford these homes with those interest rates so high and with the prices still going up. Now, get this. You would think with interest rates so high, the prices would come down. No, they're not coming down. They're just keep going up. Why? Because there's still not enough houses out there in the market to buy. And secondly, what's going on is single-family builders tap the brakes. In May, a number of construction permits, the number of construction permits for single-family houses descended to a 10-month low. There it is. They're not building them anymore. Prices still have to go up. We'll be right back with the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Welcome back to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. Got a question? Call 855-497-4DELL. That's 855-497-4335. Or email Dell at askdell at l-u-i-n-c dot com. 
Welcome back to Del Wombly Radio Show. Today uh, we're discussing here in the second half of the show uh, the housing situation since they've raised the interest rates so much here recently. And what they're talking about now is the, the, the phenomenon, which is really interesting, is that the ability for people to be able to buy homes, at least first-time home buyers, has gone down because they can't afford the higher interest rates, which are creating the larger payments, which means they can't qualify. At the very same time, while the interest rates are going up, the prices are still going up because of the shortage and inavailability of entry-level housing. And so the median price just keeps going up. What happens with the median prices is that as more and more and more homes get built in the expensive side of the numbers, uh, the middle number, that's what median is, half the houses sold below this price, half the houses sold above this price. As more and more and more of them are sold at larger and larger numbers, that middle number keeps shifting. Um, so the reason that's happened is because they're not building entry-level housing anymore. And if they did, this problem would probably be solved. Why don't they build entry-level housing anymore? It's not affordable for builders to build. There's not enough markup on it. Why? Because lumber's more expensive, labor's more, and according to what most builders are saying, that the regulations that the government has put on home building have become so onerous that about $80,000 a year per house is just to cover governmental uh, programs that they want covered, you know, the regulations. So you think about it. You can't build a house for 120000 anymore if 80000 of it is regulations. So if you got 80000 and that's got to be, you know, 10% of some number, that means you got to build million-dollar homes. It's, it's amazingly complicated. If it's only 5% of the cost, you know, then it's uh, probably only $500,000 homes. But you don't see anything like $200,000 homes coming out when you've got $80,000 worth of regulations tacked on, right, in building costs. So in that situation, they're not building cost-effective starter homes. Uh, and that shortage is making it impossible for entry-level people to buy homes. So what do they do? Well, they're renting. And as the last article stated, the rents are going up astronomically uh, across the board. Us as landlords, we're seeing a rent increase of about double digits across the board. And you're going to see the government start starting pointing fingers at us, just stop raising the rents, stop raising the rents, yet while at the same time, the rents are uh, directly in line with what it cost uh, us to go out there and buy these homes now because the homes are expensive. And so we have more expensive homes. We have to charge higher rents. The difference is you as a tenant may be able to pay the rent, but you as a owner cannot come up with the down payment money and or the income qualifications to buy a home. And so we buy that home, and then we turn around and rent it back to you, and we make a profit for doing so. But the real problem for you is you have no assets. And so as these assets, as these homes go from 150000 median in 2008 to $400,000 in median now, if, if you owned a home that was one hundred fifty, you just made 250000 bucks. And if you had 10 of them, you'd make $2.5 million dollars. And if you only had 10% of the money in there, right, and it was 150, you had $15,000 times 10, you had 
uh, $150,000 is now worth $2.5 million. I don't think it takes much of a genius to see why real estate investors are getting rich. It's not even, you have to be dumb as a rock to not see that. You're not seeing that in the stock market. In fact, let's talk about the stock market. Wow, I bet you don't want to do that today, do you? The stock market dropped again. This year, the stock market is down 30%. And, hey, if that's your net worth and it just dropped 30% this year, that's not, well, I didn't gain 30% like real estate did this year. We've gained 30% this year. I lost 30%. I would have been happy just to stay the same, Dell. Yeah, but you didn't. You went down 30. We went up. Now, how can that even, how can you not see that, guys? I don't understand that. You're seeing housing go up around you. And you saw it go up when the stock market was going up. You saw it go up when the stock market wasn't going up. You see the stock market flipping around like a shot in the head snake. But you don't see real estate doing that. You see real estate going to the stars, just like a rocket ship. Just keeps going and going and going. And, you know, you would think that someday it would sputter out and, not be able to go up anymore. And we'd all hope that, wouldn't we? We'd hope because we'd like to keep buying stuff at a decent price. You'd hope it because you'd like to own something nice and or affordable rent so you can get ahead and start saving some money. Problem is you can't. Because why? Because of inflation. And uh, what started inflation? Biden started inflation. How did he start inflation? By putting all that money into the economy. Now, that's not to say that Trump didn't put some of that money in, that we didn't have some of that before Trump left. Uh, and I'm not giving, you know, Trump the big giant, you, you're great and type statement. I'm just saying that what's happened is it started with George Bush spending too much money. Obama came in and spent even more money. Then, um, who was it, Trump after that no, came in and spent even more money. And now Biden spent even more money. And so... There's so much debt out there right now that it's not a matter of the fact. And everybody always laughs and go, well, how can the government pay that debt if the interest rates are going? The government doesn't pay its own debt. Are you insane? It invents money. It just creates money and puts it out in the, in the marketplace. We're not paying any debt. It doesn't exist. I don't know why people even believe that. Government doesn't pay debt. That's why the government is able to keep raising money, right? They just keep raising the debt ceiling. There's nobody paying that stuff back. All right, so off of that rant and back to the reality. The, the reality is is that rents are going up, real estate investors have more income, and prices are going up, real estate investors have higher capital gains. Bottom line, it's not the money, it's the lifestyle, and real estate investors have it. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 
Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Sometimes you need a change of pace. That includes your finances. Get smart with your budgeting with financial tips straight from the nerds. NerdWallet's trusted experts will set future you up for success by untangling today's web of financial misinformation. Learn about smart investing strategies, tax planning pointers, and travel tips to save on a fun family getaway. Maybe somewhere tropical? Spring ahead for smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app.